My stepdad, Richard, is a really lovely man who's been in my life since I was about five. Um, He's one of those people who can just talk to anyone. A big, congenial guy with what I think is 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 a very friendly mustache. You know what I mean, Bill? His strictest words to me growing up were, please stop upsetting your mom. I got that a lot. But paired with his easygoing nature is a uh, shadow side that is somewhat neurotic. Um, This lovely man has a list of phobias and aversions about a mile long, um, from spiders to cooked carrots uh, to germs and their transmission. And over my adult life, he's come to church a number of times because he's supportive of me. But I'll never forget that look of absolute horror that unfolded on his face when he realized that we all drank from a common cup for communion. You do that every service? He asked in a tone and with a shudder more suited to a question like, did I go to the county dump and roll around in fresh hot garbage every week? (laughs) Every service, I said, uh, doing fine, (laughs) doing fine, 2,000 years of practicing this, we're still doing fine. (laughs) I did not have the heart to mention uh, what we do on Maundy Thursday, where folks will take off their shoes and wash each other's feet. Optional, of course, as is the cup, but uh, no need to unnecessarily frighten such a nice man. And he's not alone uh, there. Potophobia is the fear of feet. The internet assures me that this is a more common affliction than you might imagine. In fact, you might be sitting next to a potophobe right now whose anxiety flared up at the reading of our gospel. You never know. An aversion to feet is not a new condition springing from our neurosis-soaked modern soil. Throughout history, feet have had a shameful connotation to them. Right? So next time you go to a museum and you see paintings from the old masters like Caravaggio, look at the feet of the saint that's being portrayed. Oftentimes, they're dirty. It's a symbol of sinfulness, shamefulness, impropriety. In our scripture, when you encounter these foot-washing rituals, it's partly practical, right? Feet were disgusting. They were caked in dirt because you were wearing sandals in the desert. When you entered a house, you removed your shoes and washed your feet. But unless you were a slave in a very rich household, you never washed anyone's feet but your own. So maybe we can appreciate Mary's act today on some level for at least overcoming potophobia, something ingrained. But that doesn't even begin to touch the shame and dishonor of what just happened. This is a time where women couldn't eat in the same room as men. 
where a woman touching a man other than her husband would have sparked more outrage on Twitter than a million slaps at the Oscars, let me tell you. Sinful. Could have got her executed. The term letting your hair down was not one meaning that you were relaxing, but the signifier that you were relaxing your morals. Only prostitutes let down their hair. Mary's action here was outright scandalous, and it gets worse. The perfume she chose cost about a year's wages. $40,000 worth of perfume on Jesus' feet, a pound of pure nard, nauseating amount, really, for someone like me who gets a headache just walking past the perfume department in a store. She pours it out in one go on a pair of shameful, gross feet and then mops it up with her own hair. Everyone in the room is scandalized, not just my stepdad. The shocked silence dotted with Mary's sobs is finally broken by a voice. Couldn't we have sold that and the money been given to the poor? Judas asks. Isn't that the right religious question? We could have done a lot of good with that money. All of us listening realize that Judas is speaking for us. Never a good sign. Jesus does not scold Mary like he does Peter and Judas and all the other disciples constantly. He says... She's the one who actually gets it. The one who shouldn't be at this table is the disciple to the disciples. The one who shouldn't be at this table is the one who is teaching us how to follow Christ. As an aside, maybe you've heard people use Jesus' response to defend their negligence of the poor. I went to the church for a while who took this line, the poor you'll always have with you, ergo, why bother? God blesses the faithful. If you take anything away from this sermon, please just let it be this, that Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 15, 11, which says, poor persons will never disappear from the earth. That's why I'm giving you this command. You must open your hand generously to your fellow Israelites, to the needy among you, and to the poor who live with you in your land. God blesses you that you would open your hand as generously as God has done for you. That's the point of what he's quoting. Jesus and everyone around him knows that he was quoting a passage that says there's never going to be a time when you shouldn't be caring for the poor. And if I was in charge, there would be a fine every time someone quotes this in defense of neglecting the poor, right? So then we could give that fine to the poor. The end. That's the aside. Jesus quotes this passage and says... Pause with Mary and what she does. A year's worth of wages, everything she had, poured out in one 
go. Tenderly, immodestly, with abandon, on the feet of Jesus, the man who just brought her brother back from the dead. Later we see that Jesus imitates Mary, interestingly. At the Last Supper, he will wrap a towel around himself, kneel at the disciples' feet, and wash and dry them with that same towel and tell us this is what a disciple does. We will imitate her as well on Monday, Thursday. And isn't that the way of God? We pray the Lord's Prayer every week, asking God to forgive us as we forgive others, saying to God, look at how we forgive. Now you imitate that, God. Mary says, see how I love with abandon. And now Jesus will have the strength to do the same with the disciples and with the cross. Teresa of Avila is one of the great mystics of the church. She said, Accustom yourself to acts of love, for they enkindle and melt the soul. Acts of love that don't compute to our standards of profit and loss, shame or honor, fear or phobia. There's something about them that goes beyond even the realm of life and death. It's like our frozen souls are being warmed into living again. The thaw of our hearts, a kindling that goes into a fire if we can tend to it. And you know, in our acts of love, I suspect it's God there, reaching into those, those most shameful and hidden places of our lives, taking our feet into his hands, melting that soul.